Welcome to another episode of a special podcast we like to call From the Archives. These are hand-picked sermons and sermon series preached in our church over the years by some of the pastors, elders and special guests we've had the privilege of listening to. We hope and we pray that as we listen to these classic messages, we'll be challenged in our walk with Jesus and encouraged to trust in him more and more. That being said, let's dive into the episode. Hey guys, and welcome to this, the final episode looking at Psalm 119. Uh, Sadly, we've had to chop out two really useful episodes, but the recording quality was that bad that you wouldn't have been able to pay attention to them anyway. Uh, One was myself looking at how we can be creative with the Bible in terms of uh, our studying it, how that's not a one-dimensional Uh, one-trick pony. There are lots and lots of ways that Psalm 119 encourages us to engage with God's Word. And then there was a really helpful sermon from Jonathan on praying the Bible, how Psalm 119 is a model for us really on how we pray and indeed how the scriptures give us sometimes the words that we don't know how to speak in prayer. Uh, so shame you've missed out on those, but by all means, pick up Psalm 119, read it for yourself, and I'm sure you'll be able to kind of glean those things for yourself. Anyway, this last episode is um, entitled Continue with the Bible, and really it's John's attempt to show us from Psalm 119, and indeed from all of the Psalms, how the Bible is a book which is supposed to stay with us and benefit us in the highs, in the lows, in the ups and the downs of life. It's a real book that is really for us. Okay, it's time for me to shut up and hand you over to John. Read the end of Psalm 119, this glorious mountain peak of Revelation. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 169. May my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. May my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. May my lips overflow with praise, for you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. Oh, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let me live that I may praise you, and may your law sustain me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. For I have not forgotten your commands. What is verse 176 doing as the conclusion to Psalm 119? After 175 verses of God is great, his word is brilliant, and even when you struggle, you have his word as his delight. In verse 176, he ends with the words, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. What is going on? Well, today as we come to the end of Psalm 119, I want to show you what life is like if you follow the Word. What life is like if the Bible becomes your GPS, becomes your map. That if you meditate and dwell in the Word and let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another, I want to tell you what your life will be, back, will be like. Here's the first thing that your life will be like. You will still cry. You will still cry. Have a look at verses 169 and 170. May my cry come before you. May my supplication come 
before you. Verse 174, I long for your salvation. The psalmist is still in exile in one way or another. Think about the way the Psalms were written. This Psalm was probably originally written for temple worship. It was written when Israel were home in their own land and they had their own monarchy and they had their own power and they had God dwelling in the tabernacle, uh, in the temple. But even at that point, Israel was surrounded by enemies. At all times, there were superpowers which were growing and looking to take their wealth. But not only were there superpowers surrounding them, there were pagan nations surrounding them with other false gods which were continually picking off the Israelites, saying, don't worship Yahweh, worship our God. Come and see Baal. Come to our Asherah poles. Come and do all these things. Come away from God. And so even the worship leader of God in the psalmist in the temple was continually saying he was under attack. Let me give you a couple of verses. Verse 19, he says, I am a stranger on earth. Verse 23, he says, rulers sit together and slander me. Verse 50, he's able to say, my comfort in my suffering is this. And probably one of the most important verses in Psalm 119, verse 71, it was good for me to be afflicted. The original context is a man in a very difficult situation. But then the Psalms were taken, having been written in the majority of them in this kind of Israel-based context, and they were taken and edited together while Israel were in exile. After the Babylonians had come and dragged them off, while they were away, the books were edited. Um, Eugene Peterson is very helpful and says, we shouldn't think of them as editors, more as prayer masters. They weren't editing in some kind of academic sense, but these were men who were trying to get the word of God together in a way that would serve the people of God whilst in exile in Babylon. And do you remember how the psalm puts it? Psalm 137, one of the ones that everybody brought up in the 70s probably knows. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept. It's quite an upbeat tune, but the psalm is terrible. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion, your little ditties. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? Even the editors in bringing together the Psalms were people in trouble, in difficulty. And what about us today? Where do we live? Well, again, we live in exile, don't we? Paul, in the letter to the Philippians, you know, Philippi was a Roman colony. So it was Roman. That's why Lydia was there and she was a dealer in purple and so rich because everybody wanted to buy purple like some of you posh people are wearing purple today. They all wanted to wear purple. That's why she was so rich. But they were a Roman colony. They weren't in Italy. They were away. They were a colony. And they would look around at all the other people around them and go, oh, you local pagans, we're, we're Roman. We're a colony. We're an outpost of Rome. And so Paul writes to them and says, no, don't, don't get excited about that. Your citizenship is in heaven. That actually as believers, we are outposts. We are citizens of heaven. Uh, Peter says in his epistles that we are aliens. You see, all of us in this world are in exile. All of us are very different from those around us. This week in uh, the Rooted Group I went to, one of the uh, people there shared a story about just being with their children in a local sports club. And it came out that they went to church. And there was quite an aggressive reaction to the fact that she took her children to church. 
And that can happen. We live in a world where there is hostility to the, to the gospel. And being a Bible-based Christian, being absorbed in the Scriptures doesn't change that. We need to understand that. This week I was thinking about the Barley Nine. Do you remember the Barley Nine? The Barley Nine were drug smugglers um, who were arrested in Indonesia and put in death row. Um, and a number of the Barley Nine were converted whilst in prison. Um, it's an amazing story of conversion. And one of them was called Andrew Khan, or Andrew Khan. Um, but even though they were converted in prison, that didn't change their circumstances. It wasn't that they were converted and then suddenly the gates of the jail flung open. Actually, they were still in the same situation. And we need to understand this as Christians. Even in trusting in Christ and even in dwelling in his word, we are still in the same situation. And it helps us to grasp this, to understand how we should respond to the word and how it affects our heart. Let me give you an illustration that I want to kind of open out this morning to maybe help us understand the situation we're in. Imagine you worked in a foreign embassy. Your job was, uh, you were part of the kind of, um, the, the detail with the embassy, you were there to represent your country. When you work in a foreign embassy, the embassy is actually our soil, it's our territory. The laws of our land reign in that embassy. But imagine if in that embassy, the country turned on your country. And so now this embassy is in this country and it is surrounded by mobs who are baying for blood. You're there, you're stuck there, there's nothing you can do. Windows have been smashed, rocks have been thrown. You are in a foreign country, but you're on home soil. You're on sovereign territory. How would you feel in this, that situation? I'm sure you'd feel terrified. I'm sure you'd be worried. I'm sure your life would be full of anxiety. If windows had been smashed and rocks had hit you, you would be injured. But then can you imagine when the comms come through and the link comes through from the leader of your country and says, I know what's happening. The boys are on their way. We'll have troops on the ground within 24 hours. We're coming. Well, now there's a tension, isn't there? Because on the one hand, everybody jumps for joy. They know what's happening and they're coming to get us. We're going to be okay. There would be joy. There would be happiness. There would be great rejoicing. But yet... As you hear the crowds baying, still be worried, still be anxious. If you'd been injured by any of the things that happened, you would still be hurt. And in effect, that's what's happening. We are in a foreign place. We're in an outpost. The Lord Jesus is coming back and he has guaranteed that. But in the midst of that time, we live in this tension of knowing that our rescue is coming but yet waiting for that rescuer. And it brings a real tension. And that tension is all the way through Psalm 119. When you read Psalm 119, one of the things I said was, as Christopher Ash encourages us in his commentary, try and figure out the tune. Don't just look at the words, but ask the question, what would the tune have been? And when you read through Psalm 119, it has great movements, doesn't it? It has great uplifts where the word is a light into our path and it's more precious than gold and silver and it's like honey on the lips and I long to sing praises and then it cuts to the blues and it drops down into the minor key and I'm being afflicted and the authorities are mocking me and I can't sleep and my eyes stay open as I try to read the scriptures but I just they have to fall because I can't see anything in there. And the mood changes. 
And the reality of our lives is we go from the major to the minor all the time. We go from uplifting to the blues in our life constantly. Sometimes it's between seasons, sometimes it's within seasons. Some of you at the moment are in a season of joy and I rejoice with you. And some of you are in a season of weeping and I weep with you. And some of you don't even know what your season is. One day you're rejoicing, one day you're weeping and you don't know why. The scriptures say that is the tension that we live in. A real helpful psalm is Psalm 30, where in verse 5 it says this. It's a great promise. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. You see, if the first thing we learn in Psalm 119 at the end is we will still cry, the second thing we learn is this. Yet we can still sing praise. We can still sing praise. Have a look at verse 171. 171. May my lips overflow with praise. For you teach me your decrees. That is, I know your promises. I know you're coming. I know the reality. I know the covenant. Verse 172. May my tongue sing of your word. For all your commands. This isn't talking about laws now. But his commands, his creating commands, his covenant commands. They are all righteous. They're all true. Here's the reality of Christian life. Even in the midst of suffering, we can praise. And that praise, did you notice it, is an overflow. It's not that we have to go to the bottom of the barrel and scrape some praise out, but there is an overflow. How does that work? You know, over the last few weeks, we've been encouraging you to get creative in reading the Bible, to memorize the Bible, to meditate on the Bible, to think through the Bible. And there's a sense in which it's helpful to think of ourselves as sponges, as sponges. And do you know what? Without the word, the sponge is very hard and brittle, and it does no good. But really, with the word, the water of the Spirit comes within us, and it fills us up, and we become kind of heavier Christians, more mature Christians. And here's the thing. Whatever you fill your sponge in, when the sponge is crushed and squeezed, that's what comes out. That's how you can tell what's in your heart, isn't it? It's when you're under pressure, what comes out of your lips. Because it's the overflow of the heart. And do you know what? When we fill our lives with the word of God, when the spirit of God dwells in us by his word, when we are crushed and when we are squeezed, what comes out are the promises of God. That's what we see in Psalm 119. Yes, he questions them. Yes, he struggles with them. But yet that's what comes out of his mouth. That's why Psalm 1 says, look, don't just walk and stand and then sit with mockers. No, 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 no meditate on the word day and night let that be your delight and you will be like a tree planted by streams of water if one stream is cut off don't worry about it there's 28 other ones and you know what when we fill our lives with God's word not just in our quiet time but in our readings not just once a day but numerous times not just in the hard times but in the good times not just reading it but listening to it and hearing the preached word and memorizing it in all of these different ways do you know what the word goes in And when we're squeezed, that is what will come out. And that means that when we're squeezed by the Spirit of God, praise will come out. Now, please don't think that is changing your situation. And please don't think that is ignoring your feelings. But it says that within our suffering and within our struggling, there will be praise. There will be praise. Do you know, one of the things 
uh, we've been encouraging you in terms of prayer, particularly this week in Rooted, is to be honest in prayer and to see your real emotions as what I'm calling the ignition to prayer. If you want to ignite your prayer life, come to God honestly with your emotions. If you want to ignite your prayer life, put away the pretense, put away the salvation by works prayer life, just come in grace and say, God, this is how I'm feeling. But we've been saying, don't just come with your feelings, but actually come with the word and find your feelings in the word. That's why we're encouraging you to pray the Psalms. And as you go through your Christian life and read more and more of the Bible, you'll find these passages to speak of your experience. Because really, your emotions aren't an engine to prayer. Your emotions are a great ignition, but if all you have is your emotions, well, there's no power in your prayer. Actually, what you need is the engine of God's word. It helps you to process your emotions. It helps you to know how to pray your emotions, how to bring them to God, and how God responds to your emotions. Now, if the emotion is the ignition and the word is the engine, the question you've got to ask is, what is the destination? Does God just want me to come to him honestly in prayer and say, God, I'm really frustrated. Amen. Back to my frustrated life. Thanks, God, for listening. Does he want me to do that? No, he wants me to come. I'm frustrated. Brilliant. Read Psalm 77. He was particularly frustrated. And read it through. And go, do you know what? I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. Oh, let me look at Jesus who experienced everything and see what he went through. How did he feel when people didn't believe him? How did he feel when his brothers and sisters said he was in sin? How did he feel when he knew one of his best friends was going to betray him and was stealing money from him? How did he feel when Peter said, oh, I'll never leave you, but then would deny him three times? How did he feel? And he did that for me. Lord, you love me that much. You not only know what I'm going through, but you understand what I'm going through and you can sympathize with me what I'm going through. And Hebrews says we should come to your throne in grace in our time of need so we can receive from you. Well, now the engine of God's word and his spirit is processing. Where's the destination? It's possible to miss the destination. Because in the book of Psalms, I'm amazed by the structure of the book of Psalms. You've got Psalm 1 and 2, which is the introduction. And then from Psalm 3 to Psalm 145, it's just raw emotion. And you're like, what is going on here? There seems to be no rhyme or reason. I know they split up into five books, which correlate with the first five books of the Old Testament. But there doesn't seem to be any. There's little bits of themes here and there. But generally, I mean, it's just wild. Why, why would the editors go from Psalm 3 to Psalm 145 with wildly different emotions and circle them? Isn't that because that's exactly what our lives are like? Isn't our lives just, oh, I've got over that anger issue in my teenage years, have you? Let's just wait until your 40s. I'm hitting my 40s. I'm assuming they're a very angry period. I don't know. Um, but I mean, it just circles and the scriptures reflect that. So that no matter what you're going through, you find something in Scripture. But the aim and the destination is always praise. The Psalms will always bring you to praise. Not every Psalm ends in praise, but the ultimate place of everything is praise. Let me show, so I remember I said that the book of Psalms is split up into five books which correlate with the five books of the Old Testament. Let me just read the end of each book for you. 
The end of book one, which is in chapter 41, says this. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Then you get book two, which ends in chapter 72. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. End of book three. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. End of book four. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say amen. Praise the Lord. And then, not only is each of the five books ending with praise, then at the end, what are the last five psalms? Psalms of praise. They're called the hallelujah psalms i mean glance at them the word praise is in pretty much every verse it's as if at the end there are five praise psalms to conclude the five books of psalms well that's exactly what's going on with the editors because they're prayer masters and then you go through and it's like the praise the praise the praise the praise and then you get to the fifth of the five after the five books Sounds like gobbledygook now, doesn't it? But you get to the fifth of five of the five books. It's praise, 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 praise. And what is the very last verse of the book of Psalms? Psalm 150, at the end of the five praise Psalms, ends with the words, praise the Lord. What is the destination? Praise. Don't think that God says to you, come and praise me. Come on. I don't care how you're feeling. Praise. Go on, just say things until you feel like praising. Just raise your hand until you feel like praising. Come on, fake it until you mean it. God doesn't say that. God says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. We come in our honesty, and sometimes that is God's life is brilliant. Hallelujah. Sometimes that is the ignition to your praise. And the word gives you the engine to process it, and the power, and the destination is praise. Do you know, sometimes in life, we won't get to that praise quickly. There will be days and seasons in your life where it will not end in joyous praise. Some of the Psalms don't end in praise. But the idea is that ultimately it will end up in praise. Ultimately, God will give you a key change. Ultimately, God will transpose your music from a minor to a major. From depression and blues, I'm talking spiritual depression there, to praise. He changes it. Eugene Peterson, in his excellent book on praying the Psalms, says this. The end of prayer is praise. The, sham, the Psalms show praise as the end of prayer in both meanings of the word, the terminus. It's the last word of the final Psalm 150. And the goal at which all the Psalm prayers arrive after their long travels through the unmapped, the unmapped book, uh, back countries of pain, doubt and trouble. With only occasional vistas on the sunlit lands along the way. He says all prayer pursued far enough becomes praise. Any prayer, no matter how desperate its origin, no matter how angry and fearful the experiences it traverses, ends up in praise. It does not always get there quickly or easily. The trip can take a lifetime, but the end is always praise. There's a sense that that, that is eschatological. There's a sense in which this ultimately finds itself in heaven. This ultimately finds itself in Christ's return. But I believe that when we come to the word, we can be honest and we will come to praise. We will see that God is with us and we will be able to say with the psalmist, it was good for me to be afflicted. I don't say that lightly. I don't think in the midst of the pain we should go, hallelujah, thank you for the suffering. But I think a day comes when we look back and say, whether I would have chosen that for myself or not, 
whether that's what I would have designed, it was good. All things work out for the good of those who love him. And so we will praise. We need to understand as well that praise isn't just singing. Don't think I am limiting this to singing. Praise is our life as well. Do you see that in the Psalms? Uh, in verse 173, may your hand be ready to help me for I have chosen your precepts. Verse 175, let me live that I may praise you and may your laws sustain me. It's very important to understand that praising God isn't just singing, but it's living. So going back to the embassy, you see, we are in the embassy. We are surrounded. The Savior is coming. But you see, where the illustration is different is the president has sent his son to be with us. And he is now with us by his spirit in the embassy. He is with us as well as coming to get us. Jesus is with us by his spirit today as well as returning to get us. But as we are there, even though we're surrounded by anarchy, even though we're surrounded by mobs, we will still follow the laws of the land from where we came because we are citizens of there. And it's so important to see the part of our praise is to follow God and to worship him and to live for him. Do you know, um, lately I've been reading a lot on William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce um, led really the campaign to abolish uh, slavery. Um, he also wanted to help reform the manners of Britain. The manners. It sounds as if he wanted to teach them all to drink tea. Um, but what that meant was he wanted to combat gambling and prostitution, um, cruelty to animals and other things like that. And when you look at William Wilberforce, the way he fought for so many times, so many crushing defeats um, in the commons, so many personal attacks on his life, you wonder how did he do it? And one of the ways he did it was, I believe, in memorization of scripture. He had a phenomenal mind on some days. He would read for 12 to 15 hours at a time. Really believed in memorization. And in his diaries, there's a lovely um, thing where um, he lived in uh, London. He had um, a house um, by Hyde Park. And it says, one day, uh, I was walking across Hyde Park, reciting Psalm 119, which meant he'd memorized it. And do you know, those words have really blessed me as I've prepared on Psalm 119, this idea that William Wilberforce, probably the man who, um, he changed the world to such a degree you don't realise how much he changed it. He's the man that made us think slavery isn't right. Um, and we just can't understand what he did because it, was, it changed the world so much. And he did it absorbed in the word of God, reciting Psalm 119 on his more difficult days. Do you know what? When you remember the word and you meditate on the word, you're a sponge. And when you're under pressure and decisions come, not only does praise come out, but worship as a lifestyle comes out. We live for God. And that's what he wants us to do. Do you know, earlier on I told you about Andrew Can and the Barley Nine. Some of you may not have heard of the Barley Nine, but when I tell you now, you'll realise you have heard of the Barley Nine. So they were converted, a number of them, including Andrew Khan, yet they were still on death row and that didn't change. And so they were taken out um, to be beheaded. And as they were taken out to be killed, uh, they started to sing a song. And the song they sang was written by a British man and the words went like this. And on that day, when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise and ending. 10,000 years, and then forevermore. As they were killed, they sang Matt Redmond's 10,000 Reasons. Our life, no matter what happens, if we trust in Christ, and for them, it was being killed, 
it will end in praise. As the sponge is squeezed, the word will come out and the spirit gives us power that we didn't realise we had. I'm always amazed as I spend time with folk from our church as they come closer and closer to go into glory. I'm always amazed at how strong their faith becomes. At how God blows the billows onto their fire. And no matter how much water is thrown on it by Satan, he billows it into life. And you know what? Some of us will suffer great things in the coming year. And I believe that God will be with us by his spirit and his word if we allow him to be. And when you do that, you will be able to sing praise. You'll be able to live for him. And one day for all of us, where we'll understand the words of John Newton, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. That's why there's a tension in the Christian life. Because we still cry, but yet we can sing songs of praise. Christopher Ash puts it like this. He cannot make up his mind whether he is in prayer or praise because that is how it is in authentic Christian experience. Are you struggling at the moment to know whether you should just go with all these angry and suffering and depressed and difficult emotions or whether to praise? That is authentic Christian living. And when we go honestly, that ignites a prayer life and communion with God that the word and his spirit can give an engine and power to. And the destination will be praise. So how do we do all this? Let me end this series with this last point. Third point is this. We will cry, we can sing songs of praise, but ultimately, we still need grace. How do you live in this tension? Because do you know what? When you live in that tension, what are you, what are you tempted to do? Be honest. You're tempted to walk away. When I live in this tension, I am tempted to wander. And that's why he ends with verse 176. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. Do you know what? We need his hand to help us. We need his salvation. We will delight in his word because we want to praise him. But he knows we will stray. And what I love is is this. I so love the fact that verse 176 doesn't go like this. I have strayed like a lost sheep. I will seek you. Oh, that would be such a depressing end, wouldn't it? I love the fact that the end is... I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. Please understand, when we stray, it is he who leaves the 99 to find the one. His grace is so amazing. His covenant is so strong. No matter why you are wandering today, no matter why you are struggling today, he will seek you. Jesus says that the ones the Father has given him, not one will be taken from his hand. We have been tattooed onto God, our names graven on his hand, and nothing can change that. We can sing praise because we we know that God will never, ever let us go. He will never let us go. And we know that because the Lord Jesus has come. He came to save and to seek the lost, and he died on the cross to redeem us. He rose from the dead to secure it, and he has ascended to heaven to send us the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing, and as well to prepare a place and to plead the blood for us. We are as secure of heaven now as we will be when we get there. Or we'll be more happy, the glorified saints in heaven, but we won't be more secure. We are as secure of heaven now as when we get there, but when we get there, 
We won't need the book of Psalms because we won't have the tension anymore. We won't need to sing the blues anymore. All of our praises will be sin-free, struggle-free, stress-free, suffering-free. And in this world, we get glimmers of that. And in this world, we experience that in part, but then in whole. So let me ask you a question as we come to a close. Do you love the Bible? That's how I started this series. Do you love the Bible? I hope that by now you understand the question more deeply. When I say, do you love the Bible, I'm not asking, do you love this book? I am asking, do you love the God who reveals himself in his covenant of grace? And do you know what? You will clamor for this book because in this book, by the Spirit, you see who God is and what he has done for you in Christ and who you are in him. Do you know what? I think we should all be able to say, I love this book. Because in it, I find the words of eternal life. I want to end by reading from a children's book. Is that okay? So if you haven't understood anything else I've said, Sally Lloyd-Jones, probably the greatest theologian of our day, uh, will explain it to you. She wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible that I read in the first sermon. She's also written a book called Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sin. Um, And this is what she says. What words does God want you to treasure in the deepest part of you? Be good. Do it better. Try harder. Are those the words God wrote in the Bible for us to rescue us and free us? No. Those words only show us what we can't do. The words God wants us to remember are just three small ones. I love you. They are the words that stop the terrible lie that Satan whispered to Eve in the garden, God doesn't love you. They are the words that heal the poison in our heart that stops us from trusting God. They are the words that Jesus came to tell us with his whole life. They are the words he died to prove. What words will you treasure today? Simply in the Bible, we read the words, I love you. And that's why we treasure his word. Let's pray. Well, that's it for another episode of our From the Archives podcast. We hope that you found it challenging and encouraging. And as always, we'd like to offer you a few quick next steps that you can take right now. If there's anything that you'd like to discuss or any questions that have been raised, please do contact us via email to contact at amfordchurch.com. If you want to know more about what's going on in the life of the church, make sure that you like us on Facebook. And lastly... Why not check us out on YouTube, where you'll find additional teaching to complement our regular sermon podcast and our From the Archives podcast. Thanks for listening.